Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. All of our other campuses for me in Montgomeryville, Plymouth Meeting Limerick, Morrisburg. Hey, all of our campuses, why don't you welcome Right Direction Living Houses and Postdown? Let's clap for them as well. Got some guys and some gals checking out Journey Church today. We're glad that you're with us. And everybody else joining online, whether you're here with us live now or you're catching up later on during the week, we are excited that you're with us. Uh, I want to reiterate a couple things for you guys that you just watched the video announcements. Really important announcement. Home groups start in a few weeks. Some of you don't know what a home group is, and you're like, well, I don't want to go to a home group because I don't know a lot about the Bible, and I'm going to ask you questions about the Bible, and I'm going to look silly because I don't know anything about the Bible. It, it's, it's more than that. And so if you like to eat, you're going to love home groups. And so, uh, and the thing is about home groups is what, what really is significant about it is when you begin to surround yourself, not with perfect people, but with people who are interested in growth, especially as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're pursuing growth, your next steps, man, it, it makes a difference in your life. We, we've talked many times, you show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your future. And so we've made it as easy as possible to sign up for a group. Uh, first step is always stepping outside of your fear uh, through a, a kind of a big, bold step of courage. You saw some of the people on, the, on those videos. Uh, they're not church people. They didn't grow up doing this. This isn't kind of second nature for them. They just said yes in this moment. And, and now they're excited about home groups. And so uh, you can do two things. You can either pull out your phone and go to your home screen or, your, or wherever your screen is, my home screen, and open up your Journey app. And on your Journey app, on the first page, it says home groups. And you can sign up right there under the home groups link. You can find a group, whether you have kids, whether you're single, whether you're coming from Boyertown, Gilbertsville, Montgomeryville, whatever town you're in, we have groups in. Or if you don't have your phone, you don't have the app, you don't want to do that, you can head out to one of our tables on your way out, check out our groups there, sign up, and we'll get you all the information that you need. I promise you, 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 you will like it. And sometimes I tell people, just, give, just, just try it once. Like, just go one time. If you don't like it, nobody's going to call you and beg you to come back. If you have students... And you're like, you know, my, I want to get my kids around uh, other kids that are kind of going in the same direction. We have, we have student groups uh, that are happening. I believe we have three or four of those groups. And so I'm going to encourage you, take the step, get connected, uh, watch God kind of broaden your relationships and, and grow you in a, in a healthy way. Uh, but as you are here today, we get to continue our sermon series. Uh, I called it, I Hate My Marriage. And the reason that I called it this is because I read an article a few months ago, I talked about it in that video, and the, and the article said, uh, they asked people if you're happy in marriage, and six out of ten currently say no. But the thing is, we keep getting married. So it's not like it's like, yeah, marriage stinks, nobody's going to get married. In fact, uh, they said 75% of people who get divorced get remarried. And so it's, it's not like we, we want it, because I read articles like marriage is dying, you know, the people don't want to get married. It's garbage. People are spending records amount of money on weddings and getting married at a record pace. They're waiting till later because they're terrified of it. I get it, but people are still getting married. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you about this because I think God wants you to have a good marriage. And I don't think it's about who you're married to. Some of you are like, yeah, God wants me to have a good marriage with somebody else. I don't think that's necessarily true. And so I want to kind of take you through some, some practical insight on how to have a good, if you're going to be married, you might as well have a good one. And here's my challenge to you. I told you last week, I said it's going to be five weeks. I actually think we're going to do it six weeks, or we're going to do something we haven't done for years. I'm going to let you uh, decide the questions for week number six. We're going to do a Q&A, and next week we'll start allowing you to text in any question that you want, and I will talk about anything that you ask in church uh, that, that, that's, that sixth week. But for five weeks, I told you, I said, don't think about divorce. Don't talk about divorce. Don't focus on divorce. Uh, think about staying together. Give, give God those five weeks. God can do more in those five weeks than all the garbage up to this point in your marriage that has happened. And then I said, pray for yourself. Don't pray for your spouse. So many of you are praying that God would change your spouse. Pray for the next five weeks that God would begin to change you, that he would make you into the person that you're supposed to be, and then, then begin to apply what we're, we're learning. And so last week, we jumped into the book of Song of Solomon, or in some of your Bibles, it's called Song of Songs, and it's just a, a poetic uh, book written by Solomon about his first, his first marriage, his relationship, and it's basically a conversation between his first wife, him, and, and her friends. I told you last week, of course, the friends are, are involved 
And the book, it kind of takes you through their relationship from when they meet to when they kind of date to when they, you know, get proposed to when they get married to after marriage. They face some trials and tribulations. I thought it was interesting when I was studying this week. I never noticed this before. But if you take just the first letters of, of Solomon, Solomon, it makes the letters what? S-O-S. I think that's hilarious. And so uh, save my, my marriage. And so I, I think it's interesting. And I read you a passage in, in Song of Solomon chapter 2. That is kind of the foundation of our entire series. And this is what the Bible says in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse number 15. He's speaking. And they're in the middle of this relationship. They're about to get married. He says, let's remember this. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, are vineyards that are in bloom. So what he's talking about is this relationship is growing. It's growing quickly. It's exciting. We're going towards the altar. We're going to get married. Here's what I want us to remember as a married man and woman, as a couple. We're going to need to do everything we can to catch these little foxes that come into our relationship that try to destroy it. Because I would argue with you that no one ends up in divorce overnight. But actually, we allow little things to come into our relationship that linger for a while and have lasting uh, negative impact. And so last week, I gave you the first little fox. I talked about unrealistic expectations. We expect that person to complete us. We expect them to be perfect. We expect everything bad to go away. And the truth is, what we need to expect in marriage, we need to expect that it's hard work. We, we need to expect that there's going to be moments that there's really difficult seasons that come our way, that marriage is all about seasons. And you also need to expect that from time to time you're going to be hurt in a really bad way because you married a sinner and you're a sinner. And two sinners who spend enough time together are going to hurt each other. And so I talked to you about how the truth is that great marriages are made up of two really good forgivers. And so next week, I want to kind of you to understand where we're going. If you are married to somebody or you are the type of person who thinks you know it all, next week is for you. We're going to talk about the little fox of being unteachable. Don't look at your spouse, right? I saw a couple people look over at your spouse, uh, right? Don't do that. Just look forward. Blink at me. I know you're talking about your spouse right now. And so it's probably you, right? Like we all think, and so you get into marriage, you think you know everything, and you become unteachable. If you're unteachable, you're unreachable. God can't heal your marriage and change your marriage. Then a week after that, we're going to talk about the little fox of being unavailable. If you have kids in this room right now, do not bring them that day, or I will give them an education in an area that maybe you are not wanting them to have an education in. But the Bible talks about it, and so we're going to talk about being unavailable in our, in our sexuality, in our intimacy, in our oneness. That happens, right? God, Satan loves to put distance between couples there. And so we're going to talk about being unavailable. The last week is going to be a week of healing. We're going to talk about the little fox of unforgiveness. Some of you have built such a high wall in your relationship that you have made it almost impossible for your spouse to get over it. And your unforgiveness is actually killing what God wants to do in your life. So we're going to talk about how Jesus gives us the ability, the power to forgive our, our spouse. And today, I want to talk to you about the second little fox, the little fox of underappreciation, underappreciation. Uh, I did some studying this week, uh, in, the, in, in, all, in all of my studies, overwhelmingly, it said couples who appreciate each other most of the time stay together. In fact, uh, when you talk to people, when you talk to spouses, especially women, and you say, what is the thing that is causing so much uh, uh, problems, so much distance, you know, so much ache in your marriage? And most of them say, what do they say? I don't feel like I'm appreciated. You talk to men, they say, I don't feel like I'm, I'm appreciated. The little fox of being under underappreciated. Let me show you something that I got a few years ago. This is my foot massager. Isn't this awesome? This thing's awesome. So let me explain to you how I got this, how I acquired this, because this is one of my prized possessions. And so, uh, besides my wife and my kids. And so I got this a few years ago. I went to Brookstone. You guys remember Brookstone? Back when the mall was, was popping, you would go to Brookstone. If you were a man, so I was in my mid, mid-20s. I had lost, you know, the, like, the, oh, like the feeling of always worried about what everybody was thinking about me. And so I went into Brookstone when I was there. And I'd be like, how long are you going to shop? And she'd be like, I don't know. I'll be like, I'll be in Brookstone. And the reason I would go to Brookstone is Brookstone had those big massage chairs. You guys remember those? And they're free. Like they would have the, the ones you pay for. This is, this is what I hated about malls. Why why walls are failing all over America right now? They had those little, those little massage chairs in the kiosk area where you could spend five bucks sitting there for five minutes. Or you could sit in a $1,000 Brookstone chair that massaged you, spoke sweet nothings into your ear, right? All those stuff. And it was free. And, and she'd be like, you can't sit there. For, I, I said, I can sit there as long as I want. They won't say nothing to you. It's Brookstone. And so one time I went, she was at the Exton Mall, I believe, and I went into Brookstone. I sat in one of the chairs. And in front of the chair was this foot massager. And I, and I was like, what is that? Because I, I, I did the calf thing. I did the neck thing. I did the shoulder thing. I've been laying, you know, full, full horizontal on that chair, falling asleep in the chair. You come back, hit me. You're embarrassing me. And I saw this thing. And I was like, hey, what's, what's that? And they were like, it's a foot massager. 
And I was like, can you try it? Which, by the way, is kind of disgusting. And I was like, can you try it? And they were like, yes. Yeah. So I took my shoes off, and I just slid my sweaty feet up in this, this foot massager, this community foot massager. I put my feet in. It literally changed my life. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Looked at the price. I was like, I can't. I'm never going to buy this. I'm not going to buy a $200 foot massager, right? I'm not going to go home to hey, Leah next month in our budget. You know, we're saving up for a house. We're going to put it in a foot massager. Uh, but I liked it. And so she came. She was kind of mad at me. I was like, man, I would love to have that in my next life. When I get older, all this, I'll put it in my office. I'll put my feet in. You know, I'll put my feet in. I'll do my sermon. My feet are getting massaged. The inspiration of the Holy Spirit will run through. Like all this stuff. I had these big plans for it. Christmas rolled around. I opened my presents. And I guess my parents had asked my wife what I want for Christmas. And she had told them, I want a foot, I want a foot massager. I didn't ever think I was going to get it. Opened up the presents. And the foot massager was under the tree by the grace of God. I took, my, I took it out. You know, my kids were opening presents. I was like, get pictures. I'm not worried about this. I'll see this next year. And so I did this, opened this thing up, took my, my, my socks off, took my, took my shoes off, my socks, took everything off because I wanted to mark my territory in this thing. Slid my feet up, turned it on, right? And you can do three different levels, pulse, energize, or soothe. You can pick heat. You can do high. You can do low. You can do whatever you want. You can put, there is no time frame to this thing and nobody is going to bother me. I now own this. I am super excited. I slid my feet in there and I sat there the rest of the Christmas break. I was worthless. And for the next few weeks, I used this thing all the time. I brought it into my office. People would come in. It makes like an obnoxious. What is that? Don't worry about it. It's my foot massager. You know. You want to know where this thing sits right now in my house? I'd like to say it sits in my office, though, or somewhere like that. Like my wife let me keep it out by my lazy boy chair, right? You know where it sits? In a closet somewhere. In fact, when I was preparing a sermon, I was like, I got to find that thing. I got to see if it still works. I had to dig in a closet. You can see if you look at it, it still has the dust from sitting around. So now I have this expensive foot massager that now sits in my closet. And somebody's saying, what does this have to do with your sermon? This is a lot like your relationship. It's a lot like your relationship. You remember years ago where you watched your, your spouse walk down the aisle, met them for the very first time, had your first conversation, held their hand for the very first time, wrote your first love letter, you know, made eye contact, all of those beginnings of your relationships, all those experiences. You remember how it felt? It felt a lot like it did for me on that Christmas day. This is amazing. I am never going to take this thing for granted. I appreciate what this thing is doing for me. Fast forward seven years later, it's in a closet somewhere. It's in a closet somewhere. And what's happened is it's no longer valuable to me, but it hasn't lost its value because it's broken. It's lost its value because I don't appreciate it. See, what I found out in my life, in my marriage, in my, marriage, in my relationship with my kids, in, in my relationship with the people that I work with, in every relationship that I have, what I don't appreciate most of the time depreciates by nature. And some of you are in marital seasons of depreciation because you stopped appreciating your spouse. They haven't changed. You have. They haven't changed. You've changed. You stopped valuing them the way you value them. You stopped appreciating. I can't take you back to the altar, by the way. That, that, that's going to change. But you can continue to appreciate them the way that you're supposed to appreciate them because what you don't appreciate oftentimes depreciates. In fact, I read this in 1 Thessalonians 5. And it's, it's just practical spiritual wisdom. And I never applied, applied it to marriage. But listen, if we, if we apply it to marriage, watch how good this is. Watch what Paul says. He says, rejoice always, period, or a comma, pray continually, comma, but that's one verse. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. So let's apply it to marriage. What does he say to do? He says to rejoice what? When's the last time you did that in your marriage? And then he says this, and you're like, I need this. Pray continually. God, help me not to kill them. <laughs> no, next verse, give thanks in all circumstances. You're going to rejoice always. You're going to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. And watch the promise or what he says, what will happen if you don't do these things. Do not quench the spirit. Now, he can talk about anything in this, this moment, and he's probably talking about in relation to church and community and all those things, but you can also apply it to marriage. And I got to tell you something. In order for you to have a lifelong marriage, you need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what he has called you to accomplish. Can I get it? Amen. Amen. You need the Holy Spirit. In order for you to put up with that person, for you to become who you're supposed to be, for you to walk in joy and kindness and grace, you need the Holy Spirit. Why is the Spirit quenched in your marriage? Because you stop rejoicing and you stop giving thanks in all circumstances. And what you don't appreciate always depreciates. In other words, what you don't appreciate, you end up taking for granted. Some of you are here. And what you take for granted, you will always end up losing. 
What you don't appreciate, you end up taking for granted. And what you take, some of you right now, the person you're sitting by, you are taking for granted right now. And what you take for granted, you will eventually, you will eventually lose. And so what I want to do is I want to drop you back into what I would call relational awe. That moment where you looked at that person and you were like, I love you. I'm so excited that I get to be married to you, but I think it's simple, practical changes. And here's the thing, is that you can apply this to parenting, you can apply this to your job, but specifically we're going to talk about marriage because some of you are sitting by somebody that you despise right now, but you once loved. You despise right now, but you once were in fact you. You were so excited to marry them. I believe you probably stopped appreciating them and your relationship has depreciated over time to the point where you're about to lose it. Let me just give you three. Number one is this, and I just made it easy. We're just going to go with the word A-W-E, give you three easy ones. A stands for affirmation. The first step, if you want to bring appreciation back into your marriage, is affirmation. And this one is important because I can promise you if you have a bad marriage, it is built on bad language towards each other. If you have a bad marriage, it is built on bad language, belittling, disrespecting, putting down, telling people they're a mistake, cursing at them, pushing buttons of insecurity, hurting them on purpose because you're hurting, doing everything that you can do to put them down. And let's be honest, if you're married, you've been here. Am I right? You don't got to tell me, but if you don't tell me, you're lying. There's been a moment you lost your mind with your spouse. You looked at them and you said something. And as soon as you said it, you were like, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean it. I wish I could take that back. But many of you are filled with relationships that it happens over and over and over again. There is a zero amount of affirmation in your, in your marriage and a bunch of belittling, disrespect, and, and putting down one another. And watch what the Bible says in Proverbs 12. It says the words of the reckless. We know this. What do they do? They're going to pierce like swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing in our lives. The words of reckless, they're going to pierce. We know this from, from growing up. We, we know this from relationships. We know that words spoken into us pierce like swords. But there's other people who speak words that heal our, our, our lives. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, the tongue is the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, what the Bible is trying to tell us is our words create our, our world. You know, they asked they ask somebody, they said, he said, uh, what is the number one problem you have in marriage? And I think, practically speaking, we're going to say money and sex, right? Like money, sex, we get those right, we'll be fine. Right? Like those are the arguments. But you know, 86% of married people, you know what they said the main problem is? Negative communication. Being overly negative to one another. And then they ask happy couples, what makes you so happy? Why do you seem so content? Four out of five of them, the very top thing they said is we build each other up more than we tear each other down. One psychologist said, it's almost as if we tear each other down 90% of the time and 10% of the time we're nice to each other, aka Valentine's Day. We're nice because everybody is watching to see if we're going to be nice. The rest of it, we're just tearing each other down. When this psychologist said it should be reversed. Of course you're going to have to be critical at some point. Of course you're going to have a complaint. Of course you're going to have a difficult conversation. Of course you're going to be in conflict at some point. But in your marriage, 90% of it should be affirmation and uplifting the other person. And 10% should be moments when you have to be critical and point out a flaw in them. And the problem is many of you want to be critical and point out a flaw. And you want to make deposits from their bank, but you don't have anything in there of affirmation and love. And so you're just destroying and hurting their soul. And I got to tell you, if you want to get back to appreciating your spouse, you got to begin to affirm them. And, and the truth is, why is it so hard for us to do this in the first place? Isn't it like, like if somebody says to you, make me a list of the negative things about your spouse, no problem. How many you want, 25? Think about it. You can just write them down. Hey, hey, now make me a list that matches that list of good things with your spouse. I got one, right? Breathing. <laughs> Why is it so difficult? I think it's because we often see the negative by nature. It's just the way that we are. I mean, think of when you, last time you bought a car, right? Maybe whatever car it was, you were super picky about the car you bought because you wanted to buy a different car than everybody else and be super cool and have this car, right? And you were super picky about it and you got that car and you begin to drive it on the road. And what happens as soon as you buy a car that you think nobody else has that you didn't have before? You see it everywhere on the road. You're like, why is everybody copying me? 
Why? why? Because that's what happens. You bought, you, you didn't have it before, so you didn't ever think about it. And now you have it. And natu- it's natural for us to just kind of go back to, to the negative. And the truth is, you need to remember this. And we taught you this before. In your marriage or any relationship that you have, what you praise always prospers, but what you curse always gets worse. If you praise your spouse, you'll see prosperity in your spouse. If you constantly curse your spouse and you tell them what they're wrong, and you're going, it's true. They are lazy. They do act like their mom. They, they do do this. They were a cheater. They, 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 are, they, do, like they are overweight. They do disgust me. It's all, I get it. I get it. But what you curse it always gets worse. If you want them to prosper, you want your marriage to go, what you praise always prospers. And I want to show you this in Song of Solomon because it's so interesting. They're getting married. They're building each other up with their words. They're not yet having, having sex. They're going to wait till, till they're married, but they are building that. And I want you to notice in these words, they want to be having sex, but they're waiting for God's timing so they can have an ex- a, 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 a great sex life, right? You're going to see that in a few weeks, but watch how they speak to each other in the relationship and then apply it to where you're at. Watch what he says. He speaks first in Song of Solomon 1 verse number nine. He says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Now, now, now. He's giving her compliments based on thousands of years ago. So I don't think you're going to go home to your wife and say, you look like a horse, right? <laughs> but he's saying, you look great. You're one of the choice ones, right? You're fine. He says, your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. I'm going to go to K's, get you, get you some stuff, right? And so verse number 12, she says, while the king was at his table, I don't know what this means, but I want my wife to say this to me. My perfume spread its fragrance. I don't know what it means. I don't know if it's allegorical. I, don't, I, I, did some, I don't know what it means, but yes, right? My beloved is to me, I like this one, a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. Every husband in here, what do you say about that? Preach, preacher, right? You're like, I didn't know it says this in the Bible. I'm going to start reading the Bible more, right? My beloved to me is a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engadai. And then he speaks again. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. You're You're beautiful. Your eyes are like, are like, are like doves. He's staying, he's staying neck, neck up. Do you notice this? He doesn't even go down. He's not addicted to pornography. He's not making his wife a piece of meat. I love the way your eyes, your eyes are filled with wisdom. They're like doves. They're white like doves. What kind of drops you got in those things, right? And then she says, how handsome you are, my beloved. You're so charming. And then she says this, our bed is verdant, which means green. She's, what she's saying is, is we're going to have a good, a good life in the bedroom. It's growing in intimacy because of how we're speaking to each other right now. Some of you have all sorts of issues in your marriage, and I would argue and say, man, how do you speak to each other? How, how do you talk to each other right now? Because if you lose affirmation, what you're really walking away from is underappreciation. In fact, watch this last verse in Proverbs 16. It says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. They're like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul. And here's one. Let me give you two more. Number two is wonder. And here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about like, oh, I wonder if I shouldn't have married them. <laughs> I wonder if I made a mistake. I'm talking about this wonder. Uh, it's what I would call the admiration of the, of the inexplicable. And what I mean is there was a moment in your life when you thought to yourself, I am the what? Luckiest man or woman in the world to be marrying this person. I love, I love the, the part of weddings where the, when, the, when the bride walks down, because I'm in the front usually doing the wedding, and when the bride walks down, everybody stands up, turns, and follow, faces the bride. I don't give a crap about that part because it's not my wife, right? But when I, I like to watch, no offense, you're like, that's rude. No, I like to watch the groom because I watch the groom, and, and some, some guys are really sensitive, and what do they start doing? They start crying. I'm like, dude, get it together. Your makeup's running, right? They're, what are they? Super thankful in that moment. They're, like, they're, they're, they're thinking to themselves, I can't believe out of all of the people in the world that you could have chose, you chose me. Others of them, they just stand there. Some, some guys just stand there proud. You can just see they're like, I, like that fine thing is with me. Right? Like I can't believe that that's my, my wife. Some of them look at me and smile and I give them the thumbs up. That a boy. Like, I, like it's just an amazing moment. 
And the, and the wife is the same way. She's looking, she's crying. You know, she's walking with her, her dad or significant other, and you could, this is like a special moment, and she's excited. She's trusting herself to this, to this man. There, there's this moment where she's with her father, whoever, that, that the father's saying, okay, I give, I give you as a responsibility to this man. This man's going to hold you and love you and take care of you and nurture you, and you can feel her, her, her excitement. You can feel her proudness. She's not just walking like, I look fine in this wedding dress. She's walking up to her future mate, and she's proud, right? And there's this moment of wonder. How the heck do we get to where we're at now where you're like, I wonder if I could kill you and anybody would know about it. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder what it would be like if we were not married. The truth is you lose that sense of, of wonder, which is actually just a sense of gratefulness. This moment where you're just, when you're just great, this, this moment of wonder. Watch what the Bible says in Proverbs 18, men. It says, he who finds a wife, what do they find? They find a good thing, right? And they receive favor from the, the Lord. See, so many times in marriage, what do we do? We begin to focus on everything that is wrong. We make marriage like a project. There's all these things that are, that are broken. There's all these things that are negative. There's all these things that I don't need to be thankful for. And here's what I found out in my life as I've owned a home now that we bought a home a few years ago that was from the 60s, and there was a lot of work that we wanted to do in there. Projects beget projects. We didn't go in there. Like, I, I don't, sometimes I'm like, why do we buy this house? It was all yellow on the inside. I don't really like Some of you are like, that's my favorite color. I don't know why, right? Everything was yellow, everything was old, like everything needed to be up, updated. And we went in there, and I remember I was super excited. First day, I'm like, we got to paint everything yellow. What color are we going to paint in 2017? What color do you paint walls? White? Don't you watch Magnolia, right, or whatever the show's Chip and Joanne? You paint everything white. So I start painting it white. I paint everything white, right? And it was funny because years earlier, Leah's grandfather looked at me, and she was like, he was like, uh, you, you only paint walls white. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Why would you paint walls white? Like the world is full of color. And so our first house had a purple room and a green room and a red room and a tan room. And, and then some, some rooms had, had double color walls, like half the wall be green and half the wall be red. And like all of these things, these ugly, ugly, ugly color connections, right? And then this house many years later is all going to be white. So I start painting the walls white. And then something happened as I painted the walls white. I noticed that when I painted the walls white, that the trim that I thought was white was buttercream. And my wife was like, you got to paint all the trim. Painting trim is from hell. <laughs> so I started painting this trim. And I got all the white. I mean, every house in the room painted, I, I, painted it, painted it white, painting the walls white. And in the first, first couple weeks, after we got the walls painted and the trim painted, we looked up at the ceiling. Ugh. My wife was like, the ceiling is not white. I'm like, it's white. It's just your eyes. You ever lie to your wife in that situation? You shouldn't do that. But I was trying to get out of work. And she's like, it's not, it's not white. We got to paint it because the walls are white and the ceiling is buttercream and the, and the trim is white. And so then we painted the ceiling. And then guess what happened in my, in my old house? Then I looked at the switches and the outlets. And the people in the 60s decided that the cool color would be almond. So I had white walls, white trim, white ceiling, and almond outlets just tormenting me and nagging me. So then I got on YouTube and figured out how to, through shocks and burns and all this, figured out how to change out all the outlets. And then we got the outlets done, and then, and then the stairs weren't right, and then we got the stairs done. And then and project, it got project. And here, here's the problem, is I spent the first three years of my, of, my, of my life in that house just talking about how much I hate the house. It's just a project. Very, very infrequently did I walk in the house and go, I love you. I love you so much. I love that I have a, a roof over my head. I love you, kitchen. I love you for, like, what? everything was like, I hate, I hate that, I hate this, I hate this imperfection, this is what we do in our marriage, we start to look at everything and pick on everything, and we're not grateful for anything, and we look at people, and the funny thing is we look at people, other people are like, you should be happy, but you're not happy, and here's what so psychologists have figured out, and this is so good, it's not happiness that makes us grateful, it's gratefulness that makes us happy, if you would just become more grateful, live in that sense of wonder, in all, realizing out of all the people in the world, when's the last time you looked at them and said, out of everybody in the world, I can't believe you chose me. I can't believe we get to be married. I can't believe we get to spend our life together. I can't believe that out of all the people in the world, I get to spend the rest of my life fighting with you. I love to fight with you. Sense of wonder, affirmation, and number three, really important one, E stands for effort. And I want to talk to you about this today because I feel 
Like somebody in this place, you're pushing back right now, and you're saying, you're going to say this to me, you're going to say, I just don't feel like it. Like, I don't feel like making an effort for this person because they've just hurt me and you want me to talk nice about them. They're a jerk. And I don't have a sense of why. Yes, I married them. Yes, we have the pictures of me crying. But I was just young and dumb. I didn't know anything better. And now I'm married to this person and I'm stuck with them. And now you want me to make an effort? I've made the effort. I've done my job. Been there? I gave. I, I compromised. I moved Pennsylvania, Right? I let them buy that house. I let them get that job. I have done my job. They have not made the effort. And I got to tell you something. Some of you are going, I can't do any more. I'm just emotionally, what do you say? I'm just emotionally exhausted. Women are famous for this. They go, I'm just emotionally worn out. I just can't do it anymore. I, I get it. To that I would say, if you don't exercise currently, what is the number one reason you don't? I'm going to tell you what I do. Because I've been having an interaction with a guy in our church who started working. Now he did CrossFit. And so he's doing CrossFit, and, and I've been telling him for like, like a month and a half, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> I got no attention. <laughs> and I've been telling him every week, yeah, 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 I'll be, I'll be there, I'll be there. And then he comes the next weekend, and what do I say? I say, man, I just, I just don't feel like it, man. Like I'm 40 now. Getting up is, counts for a squat for me. Like that's, that's one. <laughs> Laying down, that's two. And I don't feel like it. And here's what I realized about exercise, because he's, he's not that much younger than me. And he said, listen, the first couple of weeks, I was extremely tired and exhausted. He said, I wanted to punch the instructor a couple times. He said, but three or four weeks into it, I'm really excited about going. I'm, I'm feeling better. I'm, my, my body feels looser. I'm building, building muscle. And, and as he was talking about it, I thought to myself, yeah, of course. Be, because effort always comes first and then emotion. Emotions follow effort. Some of you are emotional. This is why you're emotionally disconnected. You're like, I'm so emotionally detached from this. That's fine. The way to fix it is to make effort again. Because emotion follows effort. Let me give you another example. If you are in the stock market and you have invested your hard-earned money in a stock that begins to plummet, and I don't have any money in that stock. I haven't taken any of my hard-earned money and placed it in that stock, and it goes down, and you call me, and you're crying, and you're having a fit about the stock. Am I going to care? I'm going to be like, oh, man, it sucks for you. But I'm not going to be upset about it. Why? I haven't put any effort in it. I haven't put any of my hard-earned money. So my emotions do not follow that stock. Same principle in marriage. And here's what's so interesting to me. Here's what's so interesting to me. Uh, when you get to this point in marriage, oftentimes this is where affairs happen. This is where affairs happen. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're, you're, you're kind of distant from your spouse. You don't affirm them at all. You talk really negatively to them. Oh, man, my spouse never takes any, he never tries. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to marry a go-getter, right? I want to marry somebody who takes a chance. Yet, every time that your husband messes up, what do you do to him? You murder him with your words. So he ain't ever taken any type of chance at the fear that he's going to have to put up with Corella DeVille. Right? Some of you are like, I just want to marry a confident woman. I don't want a woman with insecurity. I want to marry a confident woman. Like all these women I see just strutting around, yet, yet you belittle and put down your wife all the time. And you get to this point where your, your marriage is so fractured. And you have come under the, the, the decision, uh, got to the destination where you go, man, I should just have an affair. That'll fix my life. It'll fix my, my, make me happy, all these things. And you start to seek out an affair. And you know what's so funny about having an affair? It takes effort. Like, I can always tell when somebody's getting ready to have an affair. How do you know? Well, you meet a dude. He's had a soft underbelly, right, for many, many years. He doesn't care about working out. He doesn't pluck his eyebrows. Hardly broke combs his hair. All of a sudden, he's got a hard part in a comb over, new car, working out every day, P90X, Peloton bike, taking selfies of himself, right, all these before and after pictures, all these things. All of a sudden, you're like, what are you doing, bro? You ain't making that effort before. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but I just, you know, want to put the effort in all of a sudden. Changing your socks. <laughs> dressing nice. I'm like, you meet, you, meet, you meet a wife. She's kind of let herself go. All of a sudden, she starts getting in shape, putting all this effort in. And that's not even to mention. That's the physical part. That's not even to mention the emotional part. All the effort you put in for your secret conversations, worried about if you're going to get caught. All these things that we do. And the truth is, I heard many years ago, I heard my, my cousin, his, his, his father told him this, and it's actually great advice I read online this week. But the advice that many people say is when you get to this point, think about all the effort that you're going to have to put into an affair and just have an affair with your spouse. 
just have an affair with your, your spouse because the truth is, is an affair is just effort put into the wrong relationship. And so you're going to make the effort of, a, of an affair, but you're going to engage it to the right person. I think it's biblical, actually. Watch what the Bible says in Colossians 3. This is advice to followers of Jesus Christ. Watch what it says. Whatever you do, so let's just marriage. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. And here's what, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And so you can take out the word masters and just put wife or husband. Because some of you would, that's how you would describe them. And I'm not going to work hard for this marriage. Here's what the Bible says. When you don't, you're actually not working hard for the Lord. Isn't that so interesting? Whatever you do, when you get married, work at it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord. And when you don't, you're actually not working hard for the Lord. So let me just give you things that I started thinking about that if you are having a struggle and you're like, man, I got to start fixing this and I got to make effort, what effort looks like? Because emotions follow effort. Some of you are so disconnected. Make the effort. Let me just give you four things real quick. Number one, focus your energy. What does that look like? Flirt prioritize spend time with them communicate with them call them check up on them flirt with them focus your energy number two fix yourself up come on i think it's so ironic you look at people and you're like you're, you can tell they just gave up they just gave up i've I, been there i'm 40 years old my wife will be like be like hey you need to get some new clothes i'm like i don't need clothes i'm 40 years old this, this jeans from the, this shirt from the Gap that I got in 2003 is fine. Sm smells fine. And I'll be like, I'm just maturing. I don't need clothes all the time. I don't need to do my hair. I'll just put, put my Carhartt hat on. By the way, when did Carhartt be okay for me, right? I put the Carhartt hat on. We're just going to go. We're just going to go shopping. When, why don't you shave anymore? I don't need to shave. Dye your beard. Why, woman? Right? Like, pluck your eyebrow. I don't need to pluck my eyebrow anymore. And do something about those hairs on your back, please. This is my conversation. I'll be like, I'm 40. She's like, I get it, but, but I want you to keep making an effort. I'm like, you're right. You're, you're right. Like, I should take care of myself. Come on, sometimes I run into people at, at Target, and you can always tell when you run into a woman at Target doesn't want anybody to run into her. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, if you didn't want anybody to run into you, you shouldn't have came to Target. <laughs> There's a 100% chance you're going to see them. You see them, you're like, hey! I love it. I mean, you can tell them almost. I'm like, hey, what's up? They turn around, and you're like, oh! I thought I knew you. I don't know. Yeah, it's me. Okay, sorry. And you see these women, and you like before they get married, all sorts of the done up, nails done, hair done, teeth brushed, right? And then they get married. It's like whatever. You, you, I'm all yours. You're all mine. I'm my lovers. You are mine, right? I'm like, you go into somebody's house. You're like, who those two people in that wedding photo? Because that ain't you. Nope, right? But if you were going to have an affair, you want to show up to the game like that. All of a sudden, you'd be at the gym, curves, wherever you go, you know what I'm saying? Not even still a thing, doing some, some kind of diet thing. And I'm like, just put, put the effort in. Put, put the effort into your spouse the way that you would put it into something. Fix yourself up. Find special ways to show them that you care. Give them love letters. Help out around the house. Text during the day. Like, like, think of them outside of just Valentine's Day and Christmas. Find ways to show them that you care. And figure out a time to cross paths. In other words, in other words, you know what would make your husband's day, wives? If next Thursday, Wednesday, whatever night, you sent him a little text. And the text just said, it didn't say, pick up the eggs and the bread. Or it wouldn't say, ugh. It's like a selfie of you at home. Your hair's all messed up. Ugh kids have been really difficult today get home now and your husband's like god if there was ever a time for you to rapture the church now please right i, I guess some days you have that i've been to most like help now and we tag him and it's him could you imagine as a, as a wife because you would do this if you were having an affair you cleaned yourself up and you got ready for them and you texted him like two o'clock in the afternoon he's having an awful day at work and it just said you, me, bubble bath, ESPN. That's right. <laughs> bubble bath, right? Kids in bed by 7.30, whatever it takes. See you, hunka hunka. 
Some of you are like, my husband never comes home in a good mood. He would that day. You know, some of you are like, my wife is just so emotionally tired all the time and just whining about the kids and how many headaches can she have and, you know, all these things that go on and blah, blah, blah. When's the last time you, you, you called your wife and you said, listen, we have a couple extra hundred dollars uh, in our account this month. Uh, we didn't spend it all. And I've been saving it up for you to go to Target. And girl, you can get whatever you want. You, me, Target, tonight. I'll go to whatever I'll, like, I'm not like, my wife, I'm like, you going to Target? Yeah, I'm like, where's your list? Show me your list. Let me see the damage. We're going to stick to the list. You swerve off the wrong way. This isn't a bypass to the shoes. That's not on the list. But if I was having an affair with somebody, I was trying to develop a new relationship with somebody, how would I treat them at Target or whatever? Whatever you want to go. And I don't want to be sexist and be like, maybe you're a dude, you love Target, whatever. But I'll be like, hey, where do you want to go? I'll stand right beside you. I won't even be on my phone. I'll be looking longingly into your eyes. I'll give my opinion on everything. I'll tell you how fine that you look the entire time we go. We can spend as much time as you want here until you are completely satisfied. How much does that impact your marriage? You know what my new habit has been? I'll go stand by, get on my phone. She'll be like, well, you never did that when we dated. I'm like, well, number one, I didn't have this thing when we dated. I was playing snake. And you can only play so much snake. And number two, what do you even want me to do? What do you want me to do? I'm a guy. I want you to stand with me. I want you to be attentive to me. I want you to, to pay attention. I want you to like what I like. I want you to care about what I care about. I'm like, oh, God. I would have done it, though. It's that effort thing. You know what things? Effort causes emotions. It, it brings you together. Some of the emotions you'll begin to develop is gratefulness. Man, I'm so thankful for this person. Man, I'm living in wonder. Of all the people in the world, they pick me. And as you begin to develop that emotion, the Bible says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Some of you are like, man, I don't have anything affirming to say to my, my, sp my spouse because you're not grateful for them. And your heart is so hardened to them. But the reason your heart is so hardened is you're not making the effort. You see how it all connects? You make the effort. Your emotions begin to change. You begin to become grateful. When you're grateful, the words of encouragement come out of your mouth. And all of a sudden, you're back into that awe. That moment where you're like, I can't believe I get to be married to you. And health begins to come. It's not perfect. It's not easy. It's still work. But your marriage can be good. Do me a favor, would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me? It's all over our houses, even at that, even at the right direction living. Would you just close your eyes? I know it's kind of awkward um, that you're there right now and maybe nobody's there, but let's just, let's just all close our eyes in this moment with nobody looking around. And here's what I did in first service. I think it's so interesting and, and, and powerful. I think there's people sitting by their, their, their spouses and you're, you're kind of far away from them. You would have never sat like that when you dated. Uh, but even in that, you've kind of taken them for granted. You're not... Uh, really appreciative of the fact that they're sitting beside you and now you kind of just are lackadaisical even in your posture when you sit by them no longer do you put your arm around them guys and a sign that you will protect them and take care of them and nurture them females no longer do you put your hand on his leg or on, on and grab his hand and tell him how proud of you that you that, uh, uh, proud of uh, him that you are and you kind of just sit in church in the posture of uh, of disconnectedness and sometimes when we pray we pray to the, the Lord and we focus on him. And I think that there's something there. But sometimes as we focus on him, he begins to bring healing to that relationship. Here's what I want you to do. If you're sitting by your spouse and maybe there's distance there, maybe there's underappreciation, maybe there's a need uh, to improve in these areas. And probably for all of us there is. Because once you have something for a long time, it's just a natural tendency to begin to take it for granted. And so maybe, maybe, maybe guys, you just reach over, you just grab your wife's hand and it's just a sign, hey, I heard what he said. I heard what he said. I believe in what he said. And I'm going to lead the way in this effort. I'm going to lead the way in this gratefulness. I'm going to lead the way with words of affirmation. Maybe as your husband grabs your hand, you don't give him a cold-hearted, you know, soft hand back, but you grip his hand back. And that's just a sign. And we're together. We're not perfect. We're together. Maybe some of you, your spouse is in here right now. Uh, and you came here today to try to find something that can fix them. Fix them. And maybe during this message, you stop focusing so much on them and what needs to be fixed about them, and you begin to realize, man, there's areas of my life 
where I, I can affirm more, where I need to be grateful more, where I can make more of an effort. And some of you are even saying, man, I've done everything up to this point. Listen, be the hero still. Every great relationship goes through seasons where one of the people in the relationship needs to be the hero. Be the hero. Become who God has called and equipped you to be. Be loving. Be forgiving. Be grace-filled. Reflect Jesus to your spouse. You understand that's who Jesus is, friend, to you. If you have a relationship with him, he's your hero. You're not the hero. You're the villain. He could have left you on the wayside. He could have turned his back on you. You were, you were a sinner, and you needed a savior. And he came into your life, and he took you at your worst, but he didn't leave you there. He's walked with you through pits. He's walked with you through failures. He's walked with you through mistakes. The Bible says that his faithfulness endures forever, that his mercy for you is new every morning. And he does not love you, friend, based on things that you've done or said about him. The Bible says while you were a sinner, that he died for you on that cross, that he is the hero of your life. And as we, we pray, the truth is everything that I talk about we can have fun, we can laugh, we can, we can cry together, we can read scripture together. But the truth is, the only way we can change is through a relationship with Jesus Christ and an infilling of the Holy Spirit. His word is powerful when we are connected to, to the one who wrote it, to the one who, who spoke it. You cannot become the type of husband or wife or parent or father or mother or friend or co-worker that we will ever talk about being outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not an effort thing. It's a decision to yield your life. So maybe you're here, and as I spoke, literally, it felt like your heart was breaking. And here's why. You have the weight of shame happening right now. It's just in you. You're like, man, I've messed up so many times. I've said so many things. Some of you are here right now, and you've come out of a broken marriage, and you wish you would have heard this before, and you've made so many mistakes, and you're here, and it feels like a weight of condemnation is over your life. So many mistakes, so much baggage, so much pain. The Bible says when the Spirit of the Lord shows up, that there is no condemnation, that there is freedom. There's freedom. There's hope. There's forgiveness. And friend, I'm not sure who you are, or where you've been, or what you've done, or what relationship status you're in. Maybe you're a single person who has waited so many years to find that right person and given yourself away only to be ashamed and alone. Maybe you're a married person who's made so many mistakes. Maybe you're a person in separation and divorce who's walked through it, and you look back and say, I can't believe where my life is and all the things that I've done. Here's the good news. If your heart is still beating, God still has a good plan for your life. And he is here right now. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ we talk about. That God knew we needed a savior, and so he sent his one and only son, and Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross for our sins. He was placed in the tomb, and on the third day, he rose in power. And the Bible says it's through him that we become brand new people that our sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And some of you are like, I don't know how that happens. I don't either. You put your faith in Jesus Christ and you become a brand new person. You're free. He saves you and he sets you free. He does it all. He gives you this gift. Your only job is to receive it. That's what happens. He reaches his hands out and you grab a hold of it. He did everything for you and you just simply take a hold of that life. You say, Jesus, come into my life. Set me free. Forgive my sins. Jesus, I want to live the rest of my life for you. And he's doing something right now. Some of you can feel it. His spirit is moving from side to side, front to back at every campus in that house, over, even through, the, through, the, uh, through online as, as you're, you're, you're watching and you're engaging with what's happening. Even later on during the week as this message has been shared and rebroadcast, the spirit of the Lord is doing something. The Bible says when his word is spoken, it never returns void. It never ever it comes back without doing what it's supposed to be, to be doing. And so the word of God is accomplishing something significant right now. The power of God is available right now. The presence of God is here. And he is drawing people to himself. The Bible says he knocks at the door of our heart. If we would just open it up. So we say, what do I do in this moment? We say yes to Jesus. The Bible says if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then in that moment you would be saved. That's your number one problem, friend. It's not your upbringing. It's not your husband. Not your wife. 
not your DNA, genetic makeup, not your addiction. Your number one problem is you were created with the need to know God. And you can't get to him through your own effort. And so God came to you through Jesus Christ. And now you can have a relationship with him by simply saying yes to Jesus. That's what you need. It's the answer to your pain and your problems. And he's here right now. A remarkable, life-changing thing is about to happen with your yes. One step of yes towards God. And so with that, you all over our houses, there's somebody standing in the front of each campus. Maybe you're watching online right now. Maybe you're joining us from the house. And you have the number of Matt, and he's, he's, he has my number. And maybe you need to respond, and you can just text him and say, hey, that's going to be me today. I need to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we're going to pray all over our houses. Uh, we take one step of courage, one step of boldness. I'm going to ask you if that's you, and if that's you all over this house, the Spirit of the Lord is reaching you and speaking to you, and you need to respond. If that's you, when I ask you, you're just going to shoot your hand straight up in the air. We're not going to make you come forward. I'm not going to call you out. No one else is looking around. they got their own stuff to deal with. It's between you and Jesus Christ. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. He has given me everything today. I'm going to receive him in faith. If that's you all over our houses, and you say yes to Jesus Christ, would you just shoot your hand straight up in the air with boldness and excitement and courage, straight up in the air and say, hey, pastor, that's me. Today, Jesus is going to be the Lord of my life. Come on, at the houses, the other campuses, even online, that's me. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm going to step into a relationship with him right now. Church, would you begin to pray all over our houses as people are responding? Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you for how you continue to move. Thank you for those that are other campuses right now that are responding, for the guys and the gals in the house, Lord, that are responding, for those watching online that are responding right now, Lord, that they didn't know their life was going to change forever today. But, Lord, you've done something. You've spoken something. You've set something in motion. And today is the first day of the best days of their life, Lord. Lord, there's nothing better than have a relationship with you. There's nothing better than your forgiveness. There's nothing better than your grace and your mercy and your hope. There's nothing better than finding purpose and the reason for why we're on this earth. And so, Jesus, we are grateful for all that you've done and all that you continue to do. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you that you're healing people right now. Lord, there's a marriage in this place that, that was on the brink of divorce. And Lord, you did something in this moment today that is going to change not only the course of history in the relationship, but the course of history in their kids, kids, kids. And Lord, we are grateful that we get to be a part of it, that we get to serve, that we get to give, that we get to worship, and that we get to respond to your word. Jesus, we love you. We love you. In your name we pray. In your name we pray. Church, one more time, would you shout amen? amen. Come on, let's clap together. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.